really energizes my spirit right like i think it really brings out this creative spiritual side of me and not everything in life at least for me is or oh, i need to be making like if let's say there are eight areas of your life it's not just like money has to come in and then none of the other areas matter right um for me it has to be like money's taken care of but i also want to feel like what's my place in this world like what i want to do with life and what are these ideas i want to pursue and i think personally travel really brings that out in ways that you will never expect hey everybody what's good welcome back to the next move podcast and if this is your first time on the show we're a podcast that share the strategies tools and stories behind people who are making an impact in India. And today I'm extremely excited to have Anirudh Narayan, who's the CEO of Master Life as well as the author of Scale Smart. And we're not really going to get into the whole business aspect and startups that we usually get into on this podcast. Today we're going to talk about how do you live a life of travel? And I know it's it's covid time right now and we can't necessarily travel at the moment but this has created the urge for everybody to want to go outside see the world because when everything opens up it really will give us that appreciation for it and I know myself and so many people that I know really want to begin begin traveling and in the digital age we can do that and Ayurveda has been there and done that So today we're really going to get into the deep specifics of how you live a life of a digital nomad. But before we do, Anirudh, I really want to bring you in. How are you? Good, Arman. Thank you so much for having me. I'm actually pretty excited to be talking to you. And and uh, I, I know we spoke a little bit before this happened, and I like your passion towards doing this podcast and trying to get people on board. So continue staying consistent, buddy. Thank you. So dude, I'm telling you this this topic is so exciting for me because it's really something that is so feasible. And I know we both have read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss and that inspired you, but can we just first of all define it? What does it mean to be a digital nomad in today's world? Right. So I think it's become quite mainstream today for you to be working remotely, right? But I think in 2007, 2008 Tim Ferriss came out with this book called The 4-Hour Workweek. His spiel was you could in some sense some sense use a lot of automation, use leverage using labor and be able to build a business remotely. And while you become location agnostic, you could say okay, I'm making enough money to sustain myself. why do i have to be in the us given it's so expensive why can't i why can't i work let's say out of a south america why can't i work out of a europe or maybe even asia and use advantage or take advantage of the dollar arbitrage so i think the concept started there and i think because the world's getting a lot flatter today where people in the us are looking to employ people from asia from africa from the uk and similarly right uh, and also the currencies are becoming a lot more competitive people are able to say that oh i don't have to be in the same place to actually work out of let's say the us uh, can i employ someone in the us so suddenly the opportunities have become a lot more democratized <clears throat> and if you and i can take advantage of that opportunity then we can say let's get a job in the us let's get paid decently well and 
while we're working remotely, can we say, okay, we don't have to be in India. Can we be somewhere else? And I think you just need to have the courage to say, let me pack my bags and leave the country. I think it's, it's more a mindset today to say, can you do this by yourself? And I think, especially when you're single, you don't have an ankle. You know, sometimes a girlfriend or a wife can be an anchor. Sometimes family can be an anchor. I think there's never been a better time for someone to actually say, I'm going to work out of Southeast Asia for three months. I'm going to work out of the UK or the US or even Europe for three months, right? So I think digital nomading today is primarily saying you've figured out a steady source of revenue. And while you do that, you say, I'm going to work remotely. And that steady source of revenue could be your own business. It could be you working for a company. But you, that's, it's a lifestyle today. And I think a lot of people assume that digital nomading is like, oh, I'm going to do seven countries in, in four weeks. It's actually about long-term travel where you say, I'm going to spend three months in one place. I'm going to use that as a base and then I'm going to do a bunch of countries around. So you don't feel nomadic, but it's a new experience that you're adding in your life. You know, what you said is so true. It's the courage bit, right? To say, I'm going to just leave. I'm not going to have an apartment. I'm going to go to another country really not knowing that much and just live my life there for three months, six months, however you choose it to be. And that's the really big thing that I want to get into later. But first, I want to start with your story, Anirudh. So what was it that really made you, was there a moment that made you say, look, I want to start living my life and, and seeing the world? What was it? Right. Good question. I, I don't think if it wasn't a change in inertia, I don't think I would have ever left. I mean, I've been born, brought up in a pretty straightforward middle-class family where my parents' dream was for their son to go abroad and study in the U.S. and hopefully get a job, get an H-1B green card, you know, follow that whole route. And I remember I, I was already in the U.S. for four and a half years and I was working for Shutterstock and I was working on their educational tech product. I was on an H-1B, but I lost my job because the product was shutting down and I was given six weeks to find another job. And I remember very clearly, I was 28 years old and I was like, man, do I really want to look for another job? Or do I want to start something on my own? And uh, so actually my first instinct was to look for a job. For the first two weeks, man, I kid you not, I must have applied to like 25, 30 companies, created plans on how I could help them. And interviewing process takes a while. And I think sometime by week three and week four, I was like, forget it. Uh, maybe it just makes sense to come back. So I'd, I'd saved up enough money to say, let, let's say, can we do three months South America? Can we do three months Africa and come back to India? And the only reason why I decided let's do South America, I was like, man, I might never come back to the Western Hemisphere. You know, like just distance, right? Like if you're locus or you're centered is India, you end up doing Southeast Asia and Europe and maybe parts of Africa, right? Similarly, if you're in the US, you don't end up coming to Southeast Asia as much. So my goal was let's do three months South America, let's do three months Africa. And uh, I used to work for a company called Lean Startup Machine. And I used to manage growth for them in the US, in South America, in Africa, and uh, Middle East. And I remember I knew one person in Ecuador, and because it was visa on arrival for Indians, I said, why not actually just go there? Uh, so Quito, which is the capital, uh, took a one-way ticket. I remember it was $450, one way to, uh, to Quito. And I left on June 2nd, 2015. It was so vivid. So I left and... Literally, I had to sell a bunch of things. I remember I had 28, 30 books. I sold all the books except for the four-hour work week. 
And I remember that's the kind of book I used to keep going back to and underline saying, you know, like, what if you could build a lifestyle? So I think very subconsciously also, it might have just been percolating, saying that this is maybe something I want to do. And uh, for the longest time, dude, I stopped believing in the universe because my dad also had a heart attack in 2015. And suddenly it was like, oh my God, like, what if I die tomorrow? And, you know, when you kind of go through that experience and dad is great today. But I remember when you kind of go through the experience and if I said, Arman, if you're going to die tomorrow, what would you do? You actually act from a place of, well, I have to do it and I don't have as much fear. Right. So I think, and also if you ask me to do the same thing today, which is a one way ticket to South America, I would hesitate, man. But, and a lot of it came down to the mindset where I felt like I had nothing to lose. I'd lost everything. That's what I felt. I lost my job. I was leaving the US. It was like a big dream to be there. And I went to South America and I started, I still wanted to work. I, I felt like I had a six month runway. Uh, so I started working out of a co-working space called Boenthrip. And while I was there, uh, there was a lady named Ellen who I used to communicate with. She was, uh, she used to work uh, across the border with us with the Lean Startup Machine. That's, that's the only lady I knew at Ecuador. So I said, I do this growth hacking and I do like, you know, I help startups scale the business. Can I do like these 30 minute sessions with these co-working spaces? And she said, yeah, sure. Why don't you do that? I did a session. They really liked it. They said, do you have a two hour version of it? Do you have a four hour version of it? Do you have a two day version or one day version? So I actually made those workshop pieces and suddenly I ended up doing 28 workshops in, in seven months and somehow three months in South America, I mean, South America, three months in Ecuador became seven months. Mm, I remember doing Ecuador for three months, Bolivia for 15 days, Colombia for two and a half months and Argentina for a month. And, uh, I wouldn't plan as much, man. I was in Ecuador for three months and I remember I was like, okay, while I was in Ecuador, I did Bolivia. One of my friends wanted to celebrate his 30th birthday. So he came down all the way from the UK and we celebrated his 30th at Bolivia, uh, which is crazy. And uh, Bolivia has the salt desert. It has that Salabeoni, the death road. And then uh, went to Colombia, spent time in Medellin and in, in uh, Bogota for a while. My friends from the U.S. came down for Thanksgiving and we spent five days in Medellin, uh, which was crazy, right? And I felt like I really got out of my comfort zone. Dude. Like, uh, I think I used to feel a little maybe just affected by the world when I was in the U.S. And maybe also I was a lot younger and uh, impressionable. But I think once I went to the U.S., when I, I mean, once I went to South America, and I, I felt very anonymous and was great, right? Suddenly you're like... I don't think I have anyone to be accountable to, which I think was very helpful. And, and every time I would do a workshop or a session, I was like, what's, what do I have to lose? The worst case scenario is I don't have to see any of them again, you know? Um, and I did seven months purely because I think I was getting tired after a while. My health was going for a toss. I said, let me come back to India. And then I came back to India, spent six months in India. And then I did, did, did a two and a half months Southeast Asia trip after. So I want to ask you a question. Um, can you can you cultivate that feeling of I have nothing to lose? You know, I've seen people and I've read about people they have a death countdown clock on their computer. Yeah. So they, they average out the probable time of their death based on you know average where you live, blah blah blah, and they have they count down the, the seconds to when they're probably going to die, and that kind of reminds them that look, there's not that much time. But right. did, did you have a I know for you, it was because you felt like you lost anything, but do you think there's a way that you can cultivate it without that to feel courageous? 
I think you got to remind yourself. See, I think a lot of issues with this is most people don't have a change in inertia, right? Like if I'm in Bangalore, I continue staying in Bangalore, I have that job and then I switch to another job unless there's a break because of external inertia. So like you either need an external trigger, you need an internal trigger, right? The external trigger can be a death, you losing a job, uh, you know, a spouse or a girlfriend breaking up with you where it makes you think or reevaluate what you want to do in life. Right. Those are your external triggers in terms of the internal triggers. A good way to think about it is to, for you to spend maybe 30 to 45 minutes every day to figure out what is right for you. So I think we're born brought up with a, with a system in place saying, okay, this is the schooling where, where it's a homogeneous structure. These are the subjects I'm going to teach you. And I tell you what is right or wrong, right? Because that's the ecosystem or that's the framework that I'm giving you to decide in which direction you should go towards. Unfortunately, when you get out of school, the world is actually very unstructured. You, the goal for a lot of us is to either break those structures and you can create value and make money out of it or decide what is right for you. Right? Like I tell a lot of people today, man, you don't have to have two kids. You don't have to get married. Uh, you could be in a, like you decide what's right for you. You could be in a polymorous relationship if you think that's right for you. But I think a lot of people don't end up spending time within the, with themselves to realize what is right for them. So I think if they can cover 30 to 45 minutes of their life thinking what they want to do with their life, right? Where do they want to live? And I think there's FOMO. Everyone has a little bit of FOMO, right? So, uh, and start, start achieving a small, small things just slightly out of your comfort zone, right? So you don't have to make that jump saying, Oh my God, I'm going to work remotely suddenly tomorrow from Thailand or Bali. You could start by saying, dude, I'm just going to go to Goa. I'm going to work from Goa for like two weeks. I'm going to come back. Slowly Goa becomes one, one month. I'm making it work. Okay. Wonderful. Now from Goa, can we slowly do Thailand, right? Can we do Sri Lanka? So you could start small and then slowly expand to something which is further off. And you got to evaluate what the best case, worst case scenarios. The best case scenario is, man, this could be a life changing experience. The probability of the best case scenario is you going there having a great time. Let's say that's 40, 50%. The worst case scenario is <clears throat> like something happens to you. Right? But the probability of that is also really low. I think a lot of people also act from a place of, man, I'm really scared. What do I do with myself? And I think uh, it's also about training time for yourself to spend time just by yourself. I mean, let me rephrase that. Actually. If you can figure a way out to spend 30 minutes just by yourself, then you won't be afraid of being alone. Right? So you have to carve out saying, what if I spent a day by myself? day by myself. What if I spent two days by myself? Right. Uh, and then slowly you become, you really start enjoying the time that you're spending by yourself. And I'm someone who's extroverted and I derive my energy from people, you know? So, uh, I think it's possible for anybody. I think women, they, they sometimes feel there's a safety angle to this, but, uh, which is true. And I think there are certain ecosystems like Bali and Thailand, which are a lot safer, but, I think that you can, if you figure out what are your internal triggers and what you want to do, like these are all the things you want to achieve in life, then it's absolutely possible. Courage will come. That's not an issue. You know, uh, what I'm getting from what you're saying really is it's, it's kind of that you have to ask yourself the, the tough questions, right? Like, what do I want to achieve? Because I want to achieve it right now. What do I want to achieve? Because social media will love it or my family will love it or my friends will love it and think I'm cool or something like that. You know, it's, you have to really 
figure out what it is that you want. And if it's something that's super untraditional, you and you really find out you want it, you can kind of go down that path easier. Are, are there are there questions that uh, that you asked yourself during that that phase? Like, how, how did you kind of internalize it properly? Was there something? Did you journal? Did you just spontaneously do it? How, how did you go about it? I actually used to have a sheet of paper in my wallet that I used to look at almost every two, three days and used to have a plan of what I want to do in the next three months. And I would break it down as this is my travel goals. This is my work goals. This is the fun I want to have. And then let's say these are the skills I want to pick up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would keep replacing it every three months. Like there would be a new sheet, there would be a new sheet. And it's not like I would achieve all of them, but I would, I would try to achieve most of them. Uh, now in, in terms of, affirmations or thoughts, I think sometimes it helps that you don't think too much about it. You know, if you're a slightly impulsive, man, you can create a detailed plan in terms of this is where I want to go and this is what I want to do and this is where I want to stay and all that. But uh, there are going to be a lot of experiences you're going to have which are not under your control. Like I lost my phone in, in Bogota. I, was, I had a phone in my hand. Some guy stole the phone from my hand. And I remember Ooh. running after him I'm like, you know, obviously screaming a bunch of foul and nobody said anything. Like nobody stopped him. Nothing. You know, I, I had food poisoning in Bolivia and uh, I remember losing like three and a half, four kgs in a span of two weeks, but <clears throat> I had to go to the hospital, get drips and the closest hospital is 80 kilometers away because we are in the middle of the salt desert. So oh. I had to spend quite a bit of money on just getting the cab. So all those things you're not going to expect. Right? It's like an entrepreneurial journey. There are going to be some great moments. There are going to be some shit moments. Right? You've got to figure out what's right for you. I think the challenge with social media, it tells you what is right for you. Right? Like people right. constantly put up like, hey, I bought a house or I traveled to this place or I raised money. At least that <laughs> it, and actually a lot of ways, uh, everyone is in their own silo in, on Instagram. Right? You are mm -hmm. receiving feed, which is mostly your interests. And it's either flaring up or amplifying your interests or flaring up your insecurities. That's primarily what every social media channel is doing to you. So if you switched off that noise and you realized, hey, what do I like? Like, I actually realized like for the longest time between 24 and 28, I thought raising money was success for a startup. And I did it and I, it felt exhausting. And I said, why did I even want to get into entrepreneurship? Did I just want to do it because of FOMO or do I actually want to get into entrepreneurship because I want to have freedom and creativity to do things, you know? So, uh, so Arman, I, th I think there were no, there's no magic formula uh, to this, but I think everyone yeah. will have to have their reason to do did, it. Did you have any social pressure when you were making the decision to leave? Or did you feel anything? Did you, did you think at all? Like, what would my friends think? Or, or were you just like, you know what? It's, it's, it's my own journey. So I think when I left the US and I started doing this travel piece, I actually stopped caring about what my friends thought. I stopped caring about what my parents expected of me. You know, not like my parents ever expected anything of me. And the funny part is when you actually start doing this thing, you realize nobody actually gives gives two Fs about you. 99% uh, of the time, people actually just thinking about themselves. Mm -hmm. So you should actually take that leap of faith and say, nobody's really thinking about me. Right? Uh, so what would you do if you were just by yourself in this island? Right? 
so no social pressure and i think a lot of once you start doing it a lot of people are usually like oh man that's really cool how are you doing it some people get i remember one of my friends reaching out to me and asking him when are, when are you going to get serious with your life and i was like wait what are you talking about i'm actually making money and i'm saving money and i'm traveling but for him it was a projection i guess of what my social feed was right uh and maybe a projection of his insecurities who knows why do you have to get serious with life like that's the thing you know why do you you can just have a fun life while doing you know making money like you were doing and and that's a good segue because so making money is something that you have to do right like not everybody will have someone who's able to fund them you know if you have rich parents or something like that but you're if you're wanting to travel and you want to make money you talked about how you created emails and proposals and stuff like that can you talk about exactly how you went about creating a a sale with the startups that you went around into different countries sure um so i think one of the first things anyone's got to do is know what their skill is right and i think it's important to know that i i built maybe some skill set around marketing i'd spent maybe 4 5 years doing marketing and uh, i'd spent some time in the us so when you actually try to pitch to a us client there's a little bit of trust right so that helps oh you oh you went to your grad school in the us and like oh you worked here so like that's that's all signaling to say listen i'm probably want to work with you but i would literally find companies on angel list that are looking to hire marketers uh let's say that are willing to pay anywhere between 60 to 85000 dollars a year and i would pitch to them saying hey listen so let's say they were looking for someone who is a marketing manager or a marketing analyst right i would look at their entire uh i guess their marketing current marketing strategy and there's enough content out there for you to reverse engineer and see what each company is doing like i can look at let's say a masterclass today and say oh they use these specific keywords they're bidding on to these are the channels that they're using for marketing how often are they posting content how much money are they putting in ads you can get all their information through tools right so i would create this exhaustive plan saying oh this is what you're doing this is what you need to optimize on and these are the new channels that you could be going after right and i saw your ads by the way i used i saw the ads you're running on adwords using scm rush and i felt like you could optimize on these specific keywords so suddenly they're like oh my god this guy knows his stuff so that's the first signal right and i would email the founders directly i wouldn't email a recruiting person i would email the founders directly if they didn't respond i would i would follow up with them again and i think they would it's not like i got that it's not like i got a gig every time but four out of at least seven or eight times it would be like man this is awesome let's get on a call right but it's so applying to 100 companies i applied to maybe five or seven companies and then i would create an exhaustive plan so it just increase the probability of me getting a foot in the door right because most people that end up getting a job would be like or rather who apply would be like here's my resume in angelist right here's my resume attached you're playing the instant gratification game so it also shows that okay i want this gig badly right and then you create it you sell them on this and then they give you an opportunity you obviously make sure you do a good job with that opportunity then oh this is great this works well uh once you have the momentum then it's like okay now can i create courses in english can i do workshops can i create courses in spanish uh can i do one hour consulting here so 
once the momentum and inbound picks up, you got to start thinking about how do you monetize that piece. But fundamentally, it starts with like you be good at the craft. You know, be good at the craft. Be hopefully, can you be 10x good at the craft? And then from there, hopefully, someone recognizes you and want to give you an opportunity or a or a foot in the door. You know, dude, that's so important. You know, you are putting so much work into individuals as opposed to doing the kind of thing that everybody does, right? Copy and paste, send an email to a thousand companies and hope to land one, right? But instead what you're doing is you're emailing five people, you're putting a lot of effort into it. Other, other people would think it's wasted effort, right? Because four emails that you made 18 slide decks, you know, with all of this information, but you landed four high quality gigs because of that. And right. I, I want to ask you about the emails that you actually wrote to the founders. I know you had the presentation with this is that, this is, uh, you know, how you should improve it. And this is my skills. What was included in the body, right? How did you structure that to yeah. get their attention? Right. So let's say I was Arman's the founder of a company and I reached out to you like, hey, Arman, <clears throat> love what you're working on. And I saw that you also have an opening on the specific position here. Are, I feel like here are seven different ways. I feel like you can optimize your product or improve your marketing campaigns, right? Number one would be like, Oh, for SEO, these are the 15 places from which you need to get backlinks for Facebook ads. I think you could spend this much more money and then optimize with these three different campaigns for content. I think you should be writing four articles a month. And then I'll write those five, six bullet points and be like, Hey, listen, I've attached. That's the summary. Here's the exhaustive version of it attached, you know? Uh, would love to chat and actually if find if you find this interesting enough, I would like to actually maybe talk about the role that you have and then provide the hyperlink of that marketing analyst or the marketing manager. And yeah, and you can find their email on LinkedIn. You can, you can, it's so easy to find emails today. Find that email is another tool. You can use reportive. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's not very hard to kind of reach out to them and I would never apply. That's another thing. Even if the opening was an angel list, I wouldn't apply an angel list. Okay. I would take that email address and apply it directly to the emails. Because I feel you want to stand out, you go straight to the inbox. Like you, because angel list, sometimes someone else can be handling as well. Right. I think people sometimes hesitate to email the founders. Just email the founders, man. All the time. Don't email HR. Email, if I want to, if I want to switch jobs today, I want to be a product manager tomorrow. I would email the founder directly and say, this is the product running. These are all the optimizations you can do. This is why I would be a great product manager. Uh, these are the, I guess, tools that you can use to collect more information. Let's say I put that plan and email the founder, even if it's a 200 person organization, not the recruiting end. Cause recruiters are very conventional with their approach. HRs are also, uh, because they're given mandates, they're given mandates saying, look for this person with these specific keywords, you know? So when you're unconventional, it's harder to stand out when the process is conventional. So, so circumvent that by just going directly. That's how, that's how I look at it. And, and the founders can make impulsive decisions and kind of override the process, right? Yeah, always. They can tell the recruiter, hey, by the way, I saw this person, why don't you talk to him, right? Yeah, that, that's so awesome. Uh, that's actually the strategy that I use for, for podcasts. You know, people ask me, how do you, how are you getting people on your podcast? You know, you know, you're right. not that big. How are people agreeing? And for me, I found that like exactly what you're doing. If you take the time to show somebody that you care about them, 
because everybody else is control C, control V, because they're lazy, right? Yeah. If you take time with a few people that you actually want to talk to, you know, they're going to feel like, wow, this person actually cares. And even though this podcast isn't huge, it's not going to blow up my brand, right? It's still something that I would like to do because clearly someone took the effort. Yeah. And I, I use to get emails just for everybody. I use something called Clearbit and I'm going to put it down in the links below. It's really helpful to get any email ID you want. But nice. on to kind of the next bit, Anirudh. So you said that you didn't plan doing this, right? But looking back now, and if you were, if you were going to say restarting this, would you have planned it? How do you suggest that people go about planning their trip? You know, how do you spend money? Where do you spend money? All this kind of stuff. Great question, Arman. So I think the first time around, I didn't plan it because I was impulsive. Second time around, when I did Southeast Asia, I did Singapore, uh, Malaysia, and Indonesia. And you have to plan when you need visas, right? So I needed visa for Singapore and for Malaysia. Similarly, uh, when I did a three-month trip to Europe, I had to plan because, uh, again, you need a visa, you need a Schengen for Europe, right? Now, <clears throat> the first thing I would recommend is, first of all, the, the best case scenario is if you can get a gig that pays you well enough, whether you're in India or whether in the US, and you know that you're making at least $3,000 a month. So if you're making at least two lakhs in hand, then you could technically work out of most places in the world. It'll just boil down to how much you're saving in each of these countries. If you go to, Euro, if you go to Southeast Asia, you could live off really well for $1,500 a month. Uh, I remember when I was in Bali, I spent an entire month in Bali and I spent 30,000 rupees on a place, which was really nice actually. Like it had a nice bedroom, it had a kitchen, it had a bathroom attached. It was basically six rooms on the first floor, six rooms on the ground floor, it had a swimming pool on the top, beers for $1 in that place, it had a gym, right? So, and this was in Seminyak. So the Bali is relatively cheap. And you want to do long-term travel because long-term travel is cheaper than short-term travel, okay? So if anyone's planning, first of all, I would recommend, especially with someone in India, start with Southeast Asia. Start with countries where you don't have to have such an issue with your visa. Bali is a great spot. If you go to Bali and you spend even 15 days in Bali, you can always extend your visa from 30 days to 90 days. So that's not such a challenge. Um, I would recommend doing enough research to say, what is the place you want to stay at? Do you want to stay in Seminyak, Changu, any of these places? Book a place for maybe a month. And then use that as the base to say from there, hey man, I'm going to go to Jakarta over the weekend, come back. Or from there, I'm going to go to, let's say, Komodo Island, come back, right? Because you can leave your stuff. That's one, right? Uh, let's say you don't have a gig. I think that's, that's the biggest challenge. So if you just want to do this as a travel piece and you don't have a gig, and especially COVID, let's say things start opening up, you need to have at least three months of savings. And it's a good time to do it in your 20s. So you're saying, if I didn't have a gig and I had to survive for three months, can I be spending $1,500 a month and manage, right? So it's, it doesn't feel, so if you have three, four lakhs saved up and you, you're like, dude, lifetime, because I think nobody can predict the experiences that can come out of it and the learnings and the creative, creative juices that start flowing from it when you actually get there, right? So it, it would never be a waste if you actually still travel. So, but the first thing is, if you can get a gig, great, then continue working remotely and do this. If you don't get a gig, pitch for gigs, decide what your skill set is, pitch to companies in the US, pitch to companies in the UK, 
get in touch with your friends and come to, I mean, startups in India are also paying really well today, right? So you can actually get paid decently well. And then after that, you can work remotely today. So much trust is there working remotely as well. And, and, and do that as a test run with any of these places. And I, I think like Southeast Asia is also a great place because it's so, it's so cheap relatively, right? And I, I, I think the, the main thing is though, you have to have a high paying job if you want to be in India and do it. But if you're getting paid from the US, especially like we talked about with currency conversion right now, right? The Indian rupee to the US dollar is 75 or 76, whatever it is. India's, India rupee is weak. So if you can get paid in dollars, you are, you are basically a king here. You know, if you can get paid $2,000, you can really do what you want. And that, that's, that's really interesting uh, to hear about. Now, I wanna, so we, we've covered the learnings and we've covered how do you do it. I wanna talk about your story now. Is there any, anything that really stands out from your travels that you really loved or a crazy story, uh, you know, in Bogota or, you know, in different places that you have? Sure, man. I mean, I think that's a separate segment we should do as an R-rated segment that we <laughs> in, uh, in Colombia and, and all these places. But I was in Bali for a month. Actually, so I spent two and a half months in Southeast Asia. Okay. And this is a very interesting story. I met this, uh, I stayed in a really nice place in Kuala Lumpur and then I went to Singapore, never been to Singapore and Singapore is really expensive. I was staying out of Airbnb and uh, you, you end up meeting other people in the Airbnb. Right? So I met this random guy named Spear and uh, he is from Canada. So he was like, Hey, listen, why don't we get some lunch? I was like, yeah, sure. Let's get some lunch. I don't know whether he was hitting on me. And I was like, is that weird? But I said, yeah, sure. Let's, let's get some lunch. So we got, we got some lunch. And then he started talking about, he just came out of a 16 year relationship. I'm like, Oh, that's amazing. And, uh, mm-hmm. or sorry, a 13 year relationship. And, uh, he, he was a professor in Canada. Right. And as we start talking, we realized that he's leaving Singapore the same day that I'm leaving. And he was heading to Bali the same day. And he was leaving Bali the same day that I was leaving. And he was heading back to Canada and I was heading back to India. Right. And uh, the cool thing about him was like, he was a foodie. So I met, met him in Bali, we went partying and we did a bunch of like crazy things in Bali. But today when I started Master Life, because we got along so well because of the marketing piece as well. So he's a, he's a professor of marketing and he's done like behavioral uh, experiments and he's a PhD guy and really smart guy. So we, we would talk a lot of like, you know, intellectual stuff and philosophy and things like that. And he became the advisor at Master Life when I started Master Life in September last year. Wow. Yeah. So when you meet people from different cultures, you fundamentally realize that people are quite similar. And when you humanize these interactions, you stop thinking about people's accent, the color of their skin, and you just think about like what's their what's their journey, what do they want to do. And, it becomes a little, you become a lot more relatable to these people, you know? And I think as Indians also, you come with prejudices. They think of you in a certain way versus you think of them in a certain way. Right. So. Dude, that, that just sounds like such an amazing travel. You know, it's really, it really fills me up and really makes me want to do it so, so badly. Uh, I really want to get into what you were just talking about, which is, the people bit. And I know you said it's, it's easier to 
meet people when you're traveling, but let's say you weren't extroverted, right? Let, let's say you're an introvert and you're, you still want to travel because a lot of people want to do it, but a lot of it is about experiences with people. And that's where a lot of your experiences came from. So if you were introverted, let's say, how would you position your travel to get the most out of it and to meet the most people? I think it's important to remember there are lots and lots of online communities today. So you can actually network quite a bit even before you get there, right? Like the, the smartest thing to do is to still maintain the systems that you would have in a certain city when you move into another city, right? Like if you move into Bali, find a co-working space that's close by, find a local community, which is uh, whether it's a meetup group. Similarly, like there's a lot of these hostels where you can live and work, right? So if you can find these things, reach out to a bunch of people saying you're coming there, then it's easier for you to go there and then integrate in the community without having to create those random encounters. You know, I think communities are a great way to do it. When I moved to different cities in the US, I always went to Meetup. And that was kind of the place where I just went, half the time I went to events where to be honest, the event was awful. Right. Right. <laughs> like, and, but, but some of the times I met some of my really close friends from the city. So meetup is another really good one where you could just dive deep into different things that are going on. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of want to have one story, you know, where you, you talk about when traveling is not actually that great, yeah. you know, when, when traveling is actually a pain. Could you, could you talk about that? Because it's, it's a lot of pros, but there, there's definitely some negatives. Yeah. With everything in life, dude, I think it's important to know it's glorified. Entrepreneurship is glorified. Weddings are glorified. Um, jobs are glorified. There is a yin-yang to everything. And I think with digital nomading, first of all, your habits and routines can go for a toss. You may not exercise as often. You may not eat as well. And you may not meet as many people, right? So it can, you'll get a lot of time for yourself, but it'll be, a, it'll be stressful, right? So you end up spending more time on social media. I think a huge element of it is your habit. If you're someone who is a creature of habit, your habit can really go for a task. Like you love to, let's say, have your breakfast with avocado in the morning with chia seeds. And, you know, if you're someone who likes to work out and you need weights, like just imagine that piece going for toss if you're not able to find that around you. Right? So your exercise can go for a toss. You can miss your friends and family. You can be on social media a lot. If you fall sick, obviously that can be bad. So that's why I tell people you should actually work remotely if you can. As in when you're digital nomading, you should actually try to work from that place because it's not easy to travel three months knowing that you have nothing to do. If you have something to do, then that kind of fills up these work hours and then you can travel over the weekend on a Wednesday evening, you can step out, go to a specific place, come back. And it's not easy if you don't know anybody, right? Like you can make friends at a very high level, but you don't end up making friends who are really like for life. It's rare. It's generally rare. So if you, the other way to look at it is that's why there are communities that are coming up right now where everyone kind of does digital nomading together. Like 30 of you get together all and they take care of the organizational piece and you just have to pay a flat fee, right? So I think all of those things work. Um, that's why I feel like the perfect balance is if you can do eight months in India and four months abroad. The way I would do it is spend three months in India 
and then maybe spend a couple of months abroad. And when you're abroad, uh, you realize that, oh my God, like I love this, you know, this independence. I love this freedom. And like, you know, I like being from home, away from home. I can do these things. But like by month two, month three, you're like, no, and I really miss food. I miss good Indian food. I miss my parents. Or I miss my family. So I think that balance is something that a lot of people start craving. Yeah, and for. I think for me, that's a challenge that I really would have to kind of circumvent because I am very much like you were saying earlier, a creature of habit. I literally do the exact same thing every single day. And I feel like that kind of keeps me sane, but the appeal of travel is one that it kind of will knock me out of that, you know, every day, same thing, same experiences really. But when you're traveling, probably not many days are going to be exactly the same thing. Cause you're always visiting new places, meeting new people. And I feel like that's, that's the lure for a lot of us, right? It's, it's so different and it's, it sounds so ridiculous, but right. when you, when you phrase it the way you have in terms of just be, you find what you actually want to do. If you don't want to travel, don't do it, but you can kind of apply this mechanism as anywhere. If you're going to do it, plan for it properly and then, you know, really make the most of it, which your, your stories are incredible. And I, I know we only have one minute. So I just want to ask uh, one thing before we close off. Sure. What would you say is the biggest thing that you learned from your travels? That's a good question, actually. Mm. I think there were lots of learnings. I think one is you can feel when you're just in India that, oh, my God, you know, Indians are like this and the world, like Germans are different and Americans are different and all that. And I think obviously we have cultural differences, but we have the same set of emotions. We have the same set of triggers. We have the same set of insecurities and you end up thinking in a global way versus in a local way, which I think is interesting, right? Like, because suddenly when you're thinking about, oh, I need to, let's say I'm a techie. And you're like, oh, I need to work for Indian clients. No, you can work for American clients, right? Or if I want to start a business, well, I don't have to be focused towards India. I can be focused towards global, right? So I think that's, that's one learning. Second is, I think it depends on how everyone kind of approaches it. For me, it, it really energizes my spirit, right? Like I think it really brings out this creative spiritual side of me. And not everything in life, at least for me, is, oh, I need to be making, like, if let's say there are eight areas of your life, it's not just like money has to come in and then none of the other areas matter, right? Uh, for me, it has to be like, money's taken care of, but I also want to feel like, what's my place in this world? Like, what do I want to do with life? And what are these ideas I want to pursue? And I think, personally, Travel really brings that out in ways that you will never expect because the, the dynamic aspect of travel really brings about some creative juice in you. Really. And you meet such unconventional people. Sometimes it's amazing. And because you can feel very conventional, right? Like I, I think today uh, I'm 33. My wife is 32. Uh, we can suddenly feel like everyone around us is mad at nasty kids, you know? And then that can feel like the path, but like suddenly you travel and you meet people who are around your race. They're like, Oh, I took a break here and I did this. I, I'm a, uh, I'm a digital nomad and I'm from Austria and I have seven brothers, you know, like you just end up meeting such 
varied people that suddenly you feel like very grateful from where you come from. Uh, you start thinking more about what's your place in the world. I think you're a lot more humble. Uh, you're a lot more, uh, you, don't, you don't sweat the small stuff. And I think that's, those are all the things that kind of trains you for the bigger, bigger piece. I think I'm very grateful, uh, like literally like every day, uh, my wife and I, we, we live here in Bangalore and uh, every time she makes food, I'm like, usually I'm very grateful for the fact that you just make food for me. Right, because I've been, I was literally away from home for like nine, ten years, and nobody made food for me. Right, so I think those those pieces you just become a little more chill, dude. Easier to hang out, easier to uh, like be relatable. You become a lot more philosophical, right? So I think all those things just adds to your spirit. I think maybe it makes you a little more spiritual, which I think is important. Uh, but to each person their own man, uh, not everybody needs to experience it. But if someone wants to experience it, they should absolutely do it. Get it out of their, get it out of their system, and then, then there's a new goal to pursue maybe after that. That is brilliant. And Anirudh, to be honest, I want to do a part two, part three, part four. Just you know, diving into so many different topics because you're also an entrepreneur, you're also an author, so. I really have been fascinated by this conversation. It's something that, again, I want to say, as soon as we come out of COVID, so many people will look to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize what you've said into a little cheat sheet. All of you can, I'll put it in the show notes. All of you can uh, download it there. And also, if you have any questions for Anirudh, please leave them in the comments. I will forward them over to him and then we'll answer them for you if he has the time. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. Anirudh, thank you so much for coming on. So thank you for having me, man. Appreciate it. So till the next one, see you guys.